Well, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you. Morning, Pierre. I'm uh, going to read from the Bible this morning, read our, our passage for this morning. And uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. This is the last Sunday in our series on truth and love. And uh, so we'll, we'll read the word, and then Simon's going to come up. We're going to actually share a few important dates with you, and then, and then we'll dive into the message. So this morning we're reading 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 to 21. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Well, as Simon comes up, um, I'll just start with our important dates. Is that okay? Uh, we have actually a little handout. It's on the info desk if you want to grab it on your way out. It's also at the bottom of our webpage online that you can look at. And I just want to talk, um, I'm actually going to, talk about one that's on here and one that's not. We prayed for George Brewster this morning and just want to let everybody know if you haven't heard tomorrow at 2 p.m. here at New Life is Joy's memorial service and you are all welcome to come to that. If you can't make it, it'll be live streamed to our YouTube channel. You can find it there. Um, but the first date on this little slip of paper, these are just important dates for the entire church, things that uh, you're all invited to. Uh, next Sunday, right after the service, July 9th, we need to have just a special general meeting of the members to pass a motion licensing Simon to be able to perform marriages through our denomination. And so if you are a member, we ask that you would come to that. We do have to have a quorum. This isn't the time to say, well, somebody else will be there. It's fine. It's just licensing. We actually need a certain number of people. I think it's 39. So if you are a member, we invite you to stay after the service. It'll only take a few minutes and we'll get that done. And, uh, and that'll be that. And Simon, I'll let you share the other ones. That's awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, there's some exciting things we want to talk about in the summer. Uh, this, this week is the last week we're looking at one John. And it's our last week that we'll be um, sending the kids out as well. So for the next nine weeks going forward, uh, I hear you have, you have a long summer holiday for your children. In England, it's about five or six weeks. Out here, it's 10 weeks, right, when the children are on holiday. I'm sure they'll have forgotten half the things that they've learned this year by the time they get back in September. But 
We've got them with us for the summer holidays, and so we're going to have all together services through the summer, and we're going to be looking at the series of Jesus when he talks about who is he, who is Christ, and he gives us these wonderful sayings, these I am sayings. So we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be all together uh, for nine weeks, and for seven of those weeks, we're going to be looking at the I Am series. And so there's some flyers out there in the foyer. Take a flyer with you. Um, so just gives you a little bit of information on what we're doing, but it also gives you some pretty cool dates for September. September is only, it's only a couple of, couple of months away, right? It's scary. But there are some exciting things to look forward to. The first one is September 10th is our kickoff Sunday. Now, it's, a, it's, it's an important date because 40 years ago on that kickoff Sunday, New Life was launched. So it will be our 40th anniversary as a church, which is a big deal in Canada, I understand. So <laughs> we're going to celebrate it. 40 years, woohoo! It's like, okay. Yay, praise God, right? Still here. So that is kickoff Sunday, and we're going to make a big deal of it. We're going to have a hog roast, right? Not, yeah, we're nodding. We're going to have a hog roast. There's going to be bouncy castles for the kids, face painting, you know, you name it. We're going to do it on the September the 10th. So that's our kickoff Sunday. So put that in your diaries. And the other thing to put in our diaries is September 24th. September 24th, now Mark Williams and Sarah are taking uh, a bunch of people away for the Family FX weekend to Camp Imidine. So the Family FX guys, they're going to go camping for the whole weekend. And I thought, that's not fair. I want to go to Imidine for the weekend as well. But I can't because I've got church on Sunday morning. And it's important that we do church, right? Come to church. So if you're, if, you're, if you're having a nice time for the long weekend away at the campsite somewhere, then we're having a great time here, aren't we, aren't we people? Yeah. yeah, okay. So I didn't want everybody having fun Camp Imidine, so we thought, well, why don't we all go to Camp Imidine on September 24th? So we've booked it out. We've booked Imidine for the whole weekend, and so um, don't turn up here on September 24th because we're going to be in Camp Imidine. So we're going to do church. Uh, for that one Sunday, September 24th, we're going to be joining everybody else. Uh, we've, 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 we've hired the whole place. So there's a big barn there. There's a big worship area, indoor worship uh, sanctuary that they've got. We've, uh, we're going to get lunch after church. Uh, we'll have a big lunch together. And uh, then we've hired all of the games. So there's all the water sports are there, if you like water sports, the inflatables, the speedboats. If you like just to relax and talk and chill, there's a coffee shop. There's a big restaurant area. There's an area, there's picnic tables outside where you can just sit and enjoy the beautiful surroundings. I don't know if you've ever been to Camp Imidine, but it's pretty beautiful. And you can just sit there, you can walk around the grounds, have a nice little walk. Or if you like to do archery or laser, whatever you want to do. We've hired Camp Imidine. So the 24th of September, New Life will be doing uh, our church day in Imidine. So that's on there as well. Is, does that sound exciting or what? Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you... Whew. <laughs> I'm glad you're clapping. Praise God. Okay. Don't get sucked yet. So 
There we go. There's a few things to put in your diaries and look forward to going forward. But today is our last day looking at 1 John. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to 1 John and we're going to finish this morning. I've got a few things that I want to just share with you before we start. A few, uh, I've got a bit of a quiz. Because do you know what? In life, we can be fearful, can't we? We can worry. Who worries about things? Have we got any warriors? Anybody who fears life or situations? We, we worry. <laughs> okay, you've got two hands over here. Life is full of fear, right? And as people, we have fear. In fact, there are, I was looking at different fear on the internet, phobias. There are a lot of phobias out there. So can you guess what these phobias are coming up? The first one is this. Arachnophobia is spiders. There we go. We know that one, right? Now, apparently, there are a lot of people uh, fearful of... Uh, statistically, 48% of women are scared of spiders. That's why they send their husbands to go and get them in the bathtub or whatever, because only 12% of men are scared of spiders. There you go. Stats. Figures. Uh, okay, the next one. Acrophobia. Ooh. No. Heights. That's right. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. Uh, 5% of the general population suffer from this phobia. Uh, agoraphobia. Agoraphobia. Now, if you know Greek or whatever, you may get this one. Crowds, yeah. People don't like crowded spaces or open spaces. Claustrophobia is the next one. Small spaces, yeah, so small spaces. I don't, like, I don't like small spaces with water, you know, if I'm going into waterfalls or something, that freaks me out. Uh, aerophobia, can anyone tell me what aerophobia? Flying, of course, easy one, right? Or this one, catophobia. Cato, wait a minute, no, Cato, catotrophobia, oof. Catotrophobia. Cats? Nope, not cats. That would be felinophobia or something, right? I don't know. Don't know. Don't call me. That is the fear of mirrors uh, or what you see in the mirror <laughs> to be. Yikes. Or this one. Uh, this is my. This one. <laughs> Hippo, pato, monstro, uh, I practice this so much as well. Hippo, pato, monstro, se, quid, pedilophobia. <laughs> Fear of long words, it is. <laughs> it's the fear of long words. <laughs> it's true. Believe it or not, that is real. That is the real, the fear. Ironically, it's the fear of long words. It's natural to be fearful. We as humans are fearful. And in a good way, it keeps us safe, right? In some ways. But in other ways, it could be um, debilitating. It can cripple us. And it can stop us enjoying life. What are you scared of? What are you afraid of? 
What do you have fear of? Spiders? What about in our Christian faith? What are you afraid of? Are you scared of telling somebody about Jesus at work? Are you, well, look at three years ago. How did you feel about COVID or attending church? What about, can you lose your salvation? Do you ever worry about that? What if I don't get to heaven? Or perhaps, can my sins really be forgiven? What do we fear in life? What do we fear in our Christian life? Fear is unsettling. Fear spreads. Uh, a good friend of mine would tell me often about uh, a fear with his mother. Now, he was a, an accomplished sailor. He had a boat and his family, they all were very good at, at sailing. Uh, and he, he, would, he would know the boundaries. He would know the rules. He would know the safety features of what it means to, to, to sail a boat. Um, and so he would be fighting the boat and his daughters were all fighting the boat, but his mother had this fear of the water. And so, you know, he would get in the boat and his daughters would get in the boat. But as soon as she got in the boat, she couldn't understand the, it was just irrational. She couldn't understand the kind of boundaries, the fact that she was wearing a, a life vest and the fact that she was in a, a boat that wouldn't sink. She would be fearful. And that fear spread to one person, to the next person, and to the next person until everybody in the, in the boat were just um, panicking. Fear is unsettling. And John is telling us in the Bible, do you know what? As Christians, we have assurance. We don't need to be fearful as Christians because we have so much confidence and so much assurance in the promises that God gives us. John is addressing fear that Christians have in Ephesus at the time this book was written. And so he says in verse 13, I want you to have a confident faith. My first point this morning, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. My first point I want to make, one slide back, my friend, is this, that we're going to have confident faith. As Christians, we can have assurance. We don't need to worry. We don't need to have fear. And we start our passage off this morning in verse 13, not as an introduction to the passage, but as a summary of the whole book of 1 John. That in Jesus Christ, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we will receive eternal life. In this book, John is attempting to address false teaching in the church, which is leading some to be led astray or for others to question their faith. Were they really saved? Could they really trust in Jesus? And John sets out at the beginning of this letter in 1 John 1 verse 4. He says this, we write these things, we write this to make our joy complete. What joy does John want to be complete? Well, he, want, he wants the children of God to have assurance that when they walk with Jesus Christ, when they're walking in faith, when they, are, they, they, they will have this wonderful love for each other. And then when they believe in God, Jesus they can rejoice because their eternity is secure. 
That's the joy that John wants to have complete, that we know that when we are in Christ, we have something way beautiful. And we know it in our heart and we know it in our mind. And then when, when crisis comes, our faith isn't rocked. You see, John wants us to understand the foundation, the insurance that we have. So when false teaching comes along, we are grounded. When crisis comes in our lives, we are grounded. When fear can come our way from other people, do you know what? We're grounded. And that's what John wants us to understand. And six times in this one passage that we're looking at this morning, he says, he uses the verb, we know. We know. Six times, he says. My first one, we know. We know. Yeah, we go. Thank you. Verse 13. We know that we have eternal life, he says in verse 13, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We know this in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says, if we, um, in verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, verse 15, we know that God hears our prayers. And then in verse uh, uh, continue in verse 15 he says we know that what we have uh, we, we know that we have what we asked of him that's the, that's the third we know that we have there yes we know that we have thank you we know that we have answered prayer and then in verse 18 we know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin the one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we have spiritual protection from Jesus Christ. The devil cannot affect us because we have Christ in our lives. And then he got, John says, we know. We know that we are children of God. We looked at this a few weeks ago, that our identity is a child of God. Do we, we know this. When we are in Christ. And the last we know is we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. In Jesus Christ, we know we have the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. These are the, the, the knows. This is what we can know. These are the certainties, the assurances that we have in Jesus Christ. This is what John is saying. Do you know? Do you know what you have as a Christian? Do you know what you have as a son and daughter of God that keeps us grounded, keeps us rooted? And in verse 13, we know, you know, it says, you may know that you have eternal life. Through what? Through the name of the son of God, through the name of Jesus, just as a name alone? Well, no, because the, a name for us is doesn't have the same significance as a name did back at the time this was written. A name meant so much more. In the biblical times, a name represented the person. So knowing the name, you, you knew the person. And so eternal life is a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, which gets us to God, 
resulting in a, in a lifetime of fellowship with him. And because of this, we have certain assurances from God that lead us to live in faith and not fear. John wants us to have a confident faith that cannot be shaken. And by having a confident faith, it affects how we live now. John is bent on writing this letter so that as Christians, our faith is built on the bedrock of faith and truth. And this is what the book's about, truth and love. Truth and love. Is our faith, our trust, our knowledge of Jesus based on truth and love? You see, our faith isn't based on our feelings, but it's based on truth. You don't wake up one morning and think, hey, I feel like I'm born again today. Or you don't wake up and say, hey, I feel like I'm a child of God today. Or you don't wake up and say, hey, I feel like I have eternal life today. Do you know why? Because we know that we are a child of God. We know that we have eternal life when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Our faith, our identity, our salvation is grounded in something way better than our feelings. It is grounded in truth. Sometimes we forget that if God is greater than us, his plans are greater than our plans. His hopes are greater than our hopes. And his word is greater than our feelings. John is telling us that we already are. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. Have I honestly committed my life to him? If the answer is yes, then you are a child of God. And we have already received his sovereign grace and we have a mind to walk with him now. Isn't that wonderful to know that I cannot be taken away? Eternal life is not just heaven one day, but it's also a real, authentic relationship with Jesus today. And it tells us in the Bible, John 17, verse 3, tells us, John 17, verse 3, tells us, there we go, thank you. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is eternal life. When you know Jesus Christ, you, you're entering into eternal life. Eternity starts today with Jesus. And 1 John 5, 20 tells us, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John has written this letter to inspire confidence. So as a child of God, we have assurance when we pray according to his will. Which leads me to my second point this morning in verse 14. This is the confidence we have 
in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. We can have, as children of God, um, confident prayer. So not only can we have confident faith, grounded in Christ, when we come to pray, we can, we can be confident in our prayer. It says this is the confidence that we have when we approach God. John wants us to know that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. God doesn't want us to be wishy-washy Christians, unsure if God's going to hear us or not, unsure of our faith. He wants us to be grounded. The mark of the Christian is parisia. Parisia means boldness. That's the word used here for confidence. We have a boldness. We can approach God himself. Confidence is not arrogance. It's just not having fear in our lives. So my children are a good example. When they were little, in my old church, when they were, I don't know, three years old, and you see this with children, You'll see them before the first half of the service. What do the children do? Some of the children, they run under the stage, don't they? Who would come under the stage right now? You know, if I invited you to the stage, would you come? Sure. Perhaps. Okay, not that guy. Okay. <laughs> the majority of us are scared to come under the stage to read the Bible or to pray. If I ask you, would you read the Bible? Oh, not me. It's not my thing. But my children, when they were little, they would, they would come into the church. When I was preaching, they would just like walk out of the, the Sunday school or whatever. And they would come along and they would just, they would, they would see me on the stage. And they would, they would see me and they would recognize me and, and, they, and they know me. They love me. I hope they did at the time. But they would, and they would come to me and they would just walk onto the stage and they would just hold onto my leg and just, just hug, hug my leg. And I'm preaching there and I'd have this like little three-year-old child and, and I, I would leave them there because I knew that they were, that they were happy. They, 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 they want to go to their father. And they weren't scared because everybody else was watching. They didn't know that. But as they grew up, they don't do that now, you know. I wish they did. Those days were precious, right? But they had, a, they had this wonderful confidence that they could come to their father and just be with him. They knew they were safe with their father. But only when they got older did that fear kick in. And I think it's the same for us as Christians, when we first become Christian, we're full of zeal and vigor and, and passion for the Lord and we can come from it with confidence. But as we get older, that confidence is kind of kicked out of us for one reason or another. And John is saying, as Christians, we can have that boldness, that confidence to keep approaching the Lord. And he welcomes us to enter into his presence. Our prayers to God should be uninhibited, open, relaxed, but with reverence and submission. The author of Hebrews says the same thing. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It's the same word. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
And this is the fourth time John has used the word confidence in this book. In uh, chapter 2, verse 28, he says, we can be confident when Christ returns. In 1 John 4, 17, it says that we can be confident on the day of judgment. It's what we looked at last week. If we are in Christ, we don't have to worry when Christ returns. We can have confidence. 1 John 3, 21, he tells us, he's already told us, you can, have, you can be confident when you pray because God is there and he listens to our prayers. So approach God with confidence, with boldness, without fear. But our confidence comes when we pray in God's will. This is the confidence we have when we're approaching God, that if we ask anything according to what? According to his will. So what does it mean to be able to, to pray in God's will? What does it mean? Well, how can we understand God's will? Well, the first one is through the Bible. The Bible is full of examples of God's will. So when we pray out of Scripture, we are praying out of God's will. So the Word of God is full of commands which are according to His will. So the Bible tells us who God wants us to be and how we should live. He wants us to be honest and faithful and respectful with each other, love one another, and with our husbands and wives to respect one another. So we can pray into that. Please, God, I, I pray that I'm a, a more loving husband. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So we can pray into that. That is God's will. He wants us those things. God, I pray that I can be more patient. My, my laptop crashed last night. And um, I lost my sermon, and I lost my PowerPoint. I lost everything at about 11 o'clock last night. And I thought, oh my goodness, what do I do? So I came to church, and I had to rewrite my sermon. And uh, this morning at 6 o'clock, I had to redo the PowerPoint. And I was thinking, what do I do, Lord? Do I just cancel church, and we have church in the park tomorrow morning? That'd be nice, right? Hey, guys, spontaneous barbecue. Or do I pray, God, give me patience? And then just let your Holy Spirit speak through me. I would have been tempted to cancel a church. That would have been nice. But I, God, give me patience. Because I want to throw my computer out of the window right now. And that's the will of the Lord. God, give me patience. The Bible is full of God's will that we can be praying. When we pray through Scripture, we're praying that God's will can be done in our lives. The second way that we, we can pray into God's will is through practical sources. We may be praying, for example, in our current context, Lord, give me a job. I want a new job. Every day, Lord, give me a new job. And I hear this a lot. God, give me a new job. Lord, give me a new job. Lord, give me a new job. And we pray this and nothing happens. We don't get a new job. What's the, what's the will of the Lord? Perhaps... He doesn't want to give you a new job. Perhaps the will of the God is to stay in the job that you've got. So we have to shift our prayers. Lord, um, how can I best serve you in the job that I'm doing? Lord, thank you that you've placed me here. How can I best serve you where I am right now for your glory? 
Even Jesus Christ himself in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And so John is encouraging us here to keep shaping our minds and our desires and our hearts to God's will and heart. Prayer is submitting my will to his will, which isn't always easy. That's what John is encouraging us to do. We need to be in tune with God in step with the Holy Spirit. And verse 15, it says, and if we know that he hears us, what if we ask? We know that we have what we asked of him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful truth? God wants us to pray and God wants us to pray in his will. Then he goes on in verse 16. And my third point is this. So we can have such a beautiful Confident faith that we are grounded in Christ. We can have confident prayer. We can have confident fellowship with each other. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. Very confusing verses. Very tough verses to speak on. But John is encouraging us to pray for our brothers and sisters. Uh, it says, uh, if anyone of his brothers at Delphi, uh, brothers and sisters, if our brothers and sisters in Christ are sinning, pray for them. Don't just ignore what is going on, but pray for them. There's a, there's a, there's a bathroom in the offices that we have in the church, uh, in, the, in the church offices. And it's like, it's got paper walls. You know, you can, you can go in, you can hear everything that goes on in there, right? It's like, just, it's, it's the worst. I never use them. If I can help them, you know, don't use the, ter- the church. If you, if you go for a meeting, don't use that toilet, you know. Use the ones in the, in the reception area. And, uh, because they, you know, you got to turn a blind eye. You can hear what's going on. You know, I can, I can, I can hear Scott having a meeting next to, you know, next to the next to the the washroom, and I'm sure he can hear what goes on the other side. Is that right, Scott? No, no, God, no good. And so, you just kind of have to uh, just ignore it, right? Or kind of just turn a blind eye as if nothing has ever happened. But we can't do that with sin. We have to take it seriously. So if we see a brother or sister sinning, we can't just turn a blind eye and ignore it's not going on. But he said, pray for that. We're here together. None of us are perfect. It says in John 1 verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're all sinners. And so we once we know that a brother or sister is sinning, we can pray for them. And it gives life. A sin that does not lead to death. Well, we should be praying for one another to stop sinning. But a sin that does lead to death, well, that's a bit of a tricky one, right? And many commentators say many different things on this. What does it mean to receive death? It says... There is a sin that leads to death. Okay, wow, okay. Well, what sin leads to death? What is he referring to here? 
And I don't want to just skim over it. The good thing about preaching through a book of the Bible is that you can't avoid uncomfortable verses in the Bible. And so we're going to deal with it because it's important that we deal with it. What is a sin that leads to death? Well, the Roman Catholic Church have traditionally divided sin into two types. Venial sin and mortal sin. Venial sin is something that could be forgiven and mortal sin is something that cannot be forgiven. So the seven deadly sins, for example. Um, are there different types of sin? No, there's not. So as you know, evangelical Christians, we would say that we don't believe that is true. The Bible doesn't teach this. All sin is moral and leads to spiritual death, Romans 6.23. So we can scratch that off our list. But commentators do disagree on what that means. Uh, there are examples of people who do die in the Bible because they have sinned. So, a question we might ask is, can you lose your salvation then? Well, I want to say no. You can't. Philippians 1, 6 teaches us that God begins what, what God begins in us, he will complete. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says that what we have in the heavens will not spoil, rust or fade away. Salvation is fundamentally a gift, not a membership card. And so can we sin in such a way that we can lose our salvation? Well, no, I don't think we can. Christians may sin, they may even fall away from time to time, but a true believer is never truly lost. So what do we do with this passage that we're talking about here? We want to understand this for two reasons. One, we need to, we need to respect sin in the sense that we need to treat it um, with, 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 well, we need to take sin seriously. We can't just allow sin to keep happening in our lives. Paul, John is saying, yeah, we need to pray, pray for sin. But secondly, there are many Christians who have suffered and still do, imagining that there's some sort of sin that they've committed in their lives that can't be forgiven. So we need to take this passage with seriousness. What is John trying to get at here? There is sin that can be forgiven and the sin it says that leads to spiritual death. What's he meaning? John is primarily concerned about, well, he says the whole, the context of the letter, the emphasis of the letter of, of 1 John concludes that only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God have eternal life. Then sin that leads to death the sin that excludes the sinner from the life of God must be the denial of the saving truth. That is, if this is right, then the sin that leads to death does so because by its very nature, it rejects the means by which the sin can be forgiven. The atoning sin and the atoning death of Jesus Christ. The sin is not unpardonable, but it remains unpardoned. John has gone to great effort to highlight in his book the forgiveness of sin. He says in chapter 1, verse 7, he talks about the purification of sin is assured through Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 12, Christians are those whose sins are forgiven. It says in 
1 John chapter 1 verse 8, that we seek continuing forgiveness for our sins. And then in verse 9 of chapter 1, we need to continually confess our sins. So what's John trying to refer to here? Well, in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother commit sin, that does not lead to death, he should be praying and God will give him life. We should be praying for one another's sins with confidence and be restored into full fellowship with God, which brings life. We should therefore be praying for those who have strayed or backslidden from church. Are we praying for those who no longer attend church or no longer walk with the Lord? Are we continuing to pray for them? We should be praying for obvious sin that we see in our congregation this morning. Could be anger or jealousy or gossip or addictions. Are we praying for one another? John's worry is that some in the church are being led astray uh, or deny Jesus Christ and the forgiveness only he can provide. John says, keep praying for them. Keep praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Of the sin that leads to death, well, although John doesn't say don't, he's, he's not encouraging it. Why? Because there are some people whose hearts are so hardened, like Pharaoh in Exodus 10, they simply refuse to repent. Here lies the issue of human responsibility. God already wants to forgive. The problem is their problem. So John here, sorry, that was very heavy, but I didn't want to ignore it. Does that make sense? Thank you, Pierre. I'm glad someone got it. <laughs> I, it, yes, basically, in a nutshell, pray for those people who are sinning, who are in Christ. And keep praying for all of our sins. And there are those who just have such a hard heart towards the Lord that they simply don't want to repent. And what's that leave? It means, unfortunately, that they will receive spiritual death, separated from God. It's their responsibility. So that, yes, thank you. Easy peasy, right? No, no, and John doesn't say that. Thank you. No, but no. No, I don't give up on them. Thank you. But that's helpful, right? Okay, I want to clarify that just in case anybody was wondering what does that mean? John is encouraging us to pray. He's encouraging us to pray in God's will. And John is encouraging us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then he goes on to my last point here this morning is that we can have confident protection. And there's three no's that we have in these verses, 18 to 20. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God. And in verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Three 
knowns there. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We are under the spiritual protection of Christ. We have confidence in our salvation. Satan cannot touch us. He can tempt us, but we are protected in Jesus. This doesn't mean that we no longer sin. We do. We've looked at that. But we are protected in Jesus Christ. That's the confidence we have. We know, verse 19, that we are sons and daughters of God, children of God. Hold on to that. Cherish that. Even though the world is unjust, we are from God and secure in him. And in verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We have the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal God. When we are in a relationship with Jesus, we have a relationship with God and we have eternal life. Amen. That's not an easy passage to kind of work through, right? And I wasn't looking forward to it. And when my laptop crashed last night, I was like, oh my goodness. I didn't want to say heresy. Or I didn't want to say anything wrong. But there's so much truth in those verses. So much encouragement. So much to keep us confident and in, in Jesus. To round this book off, John has presented two things, truth, the truth of Jesus, the truth of eternity, and love. How do we love each other and the source of that love? John has presented a clear picture of Jesus because the deity of Jesus was in doubt at that time. And the same could be said today of some people. What we understand of Jesus is central to our teaching, preaching, and living. He came to earth, fully God, fully man, to die in our place for our sins. Through faith in him, we are given eternal life and the power to do his will while we live on earth. And so John is saying that we shouldn't live in fear, but we should live in confidence and in faith of somebody, Jesus Christ, who is secure. Our hope is and always will be in Jesus. Let us pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to your word and it's not always easy, Lord, to understand. It's not always easy to preach upon or to work through. But we thank you, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we have it and it guides us and it keeps us secure. I thank you that we have Jesus Christ in our lives and that we can be secure in that. I thank you that we are indeed called sons and daughters of God and that cannot be taken away when we put our trust in Jesus. I thank you that we have the opportunity this morning to come and take communion to be reminded of what Christ has done in our lives and to be reminded of the hope that we have now and for all eternity. I pray as we take communion, Lord, 
that we come to know you a little bit more and we come to trust in you with that little bit more as well. We love you, Lord Jesus Christ. 